Welcome to Shifting Schools, episode 241. All right, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Schools. Trisha, we're recording this uh, the day after Halloween, even though it doesn't come out until December. We're a little bit ahead. Yay, which is good. That means we don't have to worry about uh, being in the last moments. But it doesn't matter when we record it. It's when it comes out. Uh, But as we are now into the month of November, December, we're into the winter months how are things for you in Ontario? I know this is your first winter up there. I'm just uh, I'm bracing for it. I'm bracing for the cold, <laughs> but um, you know I I am prepared. I've got the new winter jacket. So, uh, but yeah, on the back of Halloween, I feel like everything that I have eaten lately has been fun sized. But that kind of works <laughs> with the theme of this episode because I think today's guest has also so many little like fun sized bits of insight to share. So, so that works. What about you, Jeff? How do you feel moving into winter time? Well, I can't believe it's, I can't believe it's November already. And I've been watching a lot of things coming through on Twitter where we're on that, that kind of side of it. Uh, by now, most people have been through, you know, parent teacher conferences. We're in this kind of cruise. I call it the cruise stage. There's a couple times during the school year where you just buckle down. You're through those first set of conferences. The month of November is one of those, right? It's a, it's a good stretch, a good two, three week stretch into Thanksgiving. And then when the time this episode comes out, Hopefully you're starting to relax. You're starting to think of winter break uh, and being able to recharge your batteries. So uh, I'm just I'm excited for for these times of years. And I'm excited for today's conversation. I think this is a, a great conversation. Again, we're really focused on data, and it's really fascinating how we keep coming back to this idea of data, data literacy, the crossover of STEM careers with you know, psychology degrees and ELA and how much that plays in to these different careers. But today we have Eva Murray um, on the podcast. And Trisha, tell us a little bit more about today's uh, guest, Eva Murray. Eva Murray is an international speaker on the topics of data visualization, data culture, and data communities. She's a published author with a new book that's just about to hit the shelves. Um, And Eva Murray is a driving force for women's empowerment in the technology industry. You can learn all about the work that she does at avamurray.co.uk. Of course, we will include that link over there in the show notes. So Jeff, for our listeners, if they were just going to focus on sort of three main points from the episode, what what are three headlines that you think we should be listening out for in this episode? Yeah, I think the the three things to to really key in on uh, through our conversation here today, I think are, are are one, the idea of telling stories with data, and this isn't the first time you've heard this here on the podcast. But you know, it, whether you are an ELA teacher, a social studies teacher, a science teacher, a math teacher, a language teacher, we can talk about languages today and data around different languages. I think the idea here is how are we helping students to tell stories, uh, tell stories around data? I, I And, you know, Trisha, every time we do these episodes, that is one of those key skills that constantly comes up. It's one thing to be able to do the data, know what the data looks like. It's another thing to tell the story of the data. So be listening for some, some really good tips and, and ideas around helping students do that. The second thing is... Uh, and Eva brings this up, and it's so great, is listening for understanding that really a key skill for somebody going into the data analyzing field or data data visualization 
is around not just listening. She does a really good job of saying it's not just listening. It's listening for understanding that when you are talking with somebody, are you able to actually understand what they're asking for and to be able to read through that they might not know exactly what data they're after, but your job is to be able to listen and understand what do I need to provide to my customer, my boss, my teacher, and what is it they're really looking for? So this idea of listening for understanding, we get into a great conversation about that. And the third one, which I think is really important as well, uh, something to listen for in today's episode is we get into a great conversation around that really what a data analysis job is, is to ask questions. And throughout this episode, I kept asking myself a question of where in school are we helping students to ask good questions, to be curious? That that is a theme throughout that. And that is my shifted thought for today's episode is this idea around curiosity is she talks about that any student who is curious about the kid in your class who is saying, well, what about this? Why can't we do it this way? She's like, that's your data analysis in the making. Data analysis are curious about the world around them. They don't need to know computer science. They need to be curious. And through that curiosity is where the data comes from. And so that that goes with this idea of asking good questions. When students are asking questions in our classroom, are we helping them and supporting them and asking good questions? Or are we shutting those down because we want them to just learn the stuff, go go learn it, and on Friday, give it back to me on a test? Or are we encouraging kids to ask really you know, deep, meaningful questions in our classrooms? So those are the three things to be listening for today, telling stories, listening for understanding, and asking good questions. And of course, our shifted thought is around this idea of curiosity. And Trisha, with all of that in mind, I'm going to put you on the spot and wonder, is there a free guide that could support teachers in helping students with all of this? Well, good news. There absolutely is. And there's Yay! actually probably more than one. But the one that I'll shine a spotlight on for this episode, you know, everything that you were saying there about the significance of curiosity, it connects to, I've been watching uh, this great series. It is available on HBO. It's Dr. Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. So that was a book mm. that uh, Dr. Brown had published, and there's now this TV series. And it really kind of helps us think a little bit more critically about emotional literacy and being able to specifically name emotions and really dig into what they are. And there's this great conversation about the difference between like wonder and awe, but it talks a lot about how good those feelings are for us. Um, You know, we talk a lot about well-being. And of course, I think if we're not experiencing wonder and awe in schools, we have to question why we aren't and how we might make more space for them. Because I think that the act of being curious is something that we need to really rehearse, practice from a few different really standpoints. So the the free guide that I want to mention that's available, of course, at shiftingschools.com is our Talk It Out in Two guide. And essentially, it's a series of challenges where you get out the timer You set that timer to two minutes and you've got a very creative prompt where students, it might be in pairs, it might be in a group of three or four, they're going to work through it. And I would also suggest, you know, the prompts are kind of quirky, they're kind of creative. It might be an interesting challenge for adult learners to do too, right? Because 
experiencing one one another's creativity, I think, is also a way to bridge us getting more curious about one another, about the way that we think, about the stories that have influenced us. So I think it's one of many ways to, again, practice that curiosity so that we tap into that state of awe, that state of wonder. Mm, I love that too. At the end of the episode, we talk about uh, one of the things that Eva loves to do is support women in technology and data. And so we get into this great conversation about what are some things that we need to be focused on around uh, as educators around supporting young girls and, and you know young women in data and technology. And I think those types of this type of things, right? Getting curious, um, what a great resource to just help help, help kids understand each other and, and stay curious about the world around you. And uh, I love that. So talk it out into, we'll make sure that that is in the show notes as well for people to go and download, of course, along with over 60 other 60 plus other free PDFs over at shifting schools.com. Awesome. Well, before we get to Eva Murray, let's have a quick word from today's show sponsors. All right. And with that, we're ready to go. Here is Eva Murray talking about data, technology, the book she's written, what are the skills that we need for kids today that we should be working on, and all important, our word of the day, curiosity. I hope you enjoy this episode. And with that, on with the show. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Schools. I'm so excited to be here with Eva Murray, uh, all the way from London. Uh, it's great to, I, I love technology. I mean, this is this is part of the technology thing. We can be in London and Seattle at the same time uh, and still get our podca- podcasting done. So uh, Eva, welcome, welcome to Shifting Schools. Today, we're going to be talking about data, technology, future skills for learners. Um, as we get going here, one of the first things that we found when Trisha and I were kind of uh, looking over your website and stuff is you have this really great mission. And the mission on your website reads as this, my mission is to help people forge their careers in data and technology through listening to their stories, identifying opportunities and challenges and sharing my own experiences. Can you talk a little bit more about that mission and, and what has it what has it led for you in your life? Yeah, thank you, Jeff. It's it's a mission that really evolved over time. And if you had asked me when I came out of school or out of university if I would see myself where I am today, absolutely not. Uh, I didn't have any intention to go down this route. And even when I started working in data and tech, I didn't think I would end up here. So mm. what happened for me is that I had very hands-on jobs with data and doing analysis, doing business analysis, reporting, and those kind of things. And over time, it evolved that I got to do a bit more teaching and helping mm-hmm. others to do the things that I had learned to do. And I really loved that. And I oh, cool. recognized, yes, I can be a data analyst, but I'm actually better at being the person who helps people be data analysts. Like mm-hmm. That is more my skills and my passions. And so what happened was um, I got involved in the Tableau community. I got really into data visualization, helping people build their skills. And over time, I figured out, actually, what I'm passionate about is helping people figure out what they want to do with data. And some people want to be really technical. Other people might want to teach. Others want to maybe write books or write a blog about it. And and however big or small their wish is of what they want to do with data, is something I want to help them with. And so helping them figure out, okay, yes, you might be one of hundreds of thousands or millions of data analysts in this world, 
but what makes you special? What is mm-hmm. the thing that only you can bring? Because a lot of people underestimate their uniqueness. They say, oh, but what do I have to offer? Why would they hire me? It's like, okay, let's figure out why they would hire you. And helping them see that it's not just about the technical skills, that it's also about the human skills and the human side of things. Mm. And then listening to what they say and what they don't say. And um, it's led me to today where in my day job, which I genuinely love and find exciting, I get to work with people who work in data. But I also have a side business of coaching women in data and tech who might Mm. be looking for a bit of a not changing career in terms of leaving data and tech, but maybe changing into a different type of role or entering the industry and helping them figure out, okay, how do I apply what I know and what I want to do? And yeah, it's for me, it's the most satisfying thing to see somebody succeed or pick up those new opportunities. And quite often people, they've done an, a certain job or they've done certain tasks for a while but they might not know all the stuff that's out there. So I make it my job to keep the oversight of what are some cool areas people could go into and what's required for that. Mm. Can you kind of talk about what are some of these cool areas that people can go into? Because I think this is something, I mean, as as an educator myself, I, I've heard of data literacy. I know that there are jobs out there, but I don't really know like what are some of these jobs that are out there <laughs> that we should be thinking about for kids. Absolutely. And I do want to reflect for a second just on my own time at school where the jobs we were told about were mostly the jobs you can see. So Mm. it's being, you know, going into uh, the medical field, being a doctor or a nurse, um, going into teaching, like the jobs that everyone understood already. But whatever happens in offices, nobody really knew. (laughs) Um, Unless it was the receptionist, you can see that person. So sure. I, I love sharing that stuff with people because I think it's so important that we teach kids and young adults more about what could you actually do with these skills, especially with the cool stuff you learn in school, because every single day I use things that I learned in school. And today was one of those days. In school, I never liked translating things. And every day okay. I translate stuff and I enjoy it. I translate really technical things into something plain English. I tra- mm. uh, translate things, you know, in different actual languages and the skills I've built in school are so valuable. But let me answer your question. So what can people do with data? There's the, the traditional data analyst, I would call it. So people will, in their job, the skills you require are, uh, on the technical side, you would need, ideally, SQL. So SQL, um, at the, the language of data. So it allows mm. you to query a database to then get some answers in return. For example. If we think about the retail industry right now, you know, Halloween is and and uh, Black Friday and Christmas and, and that time sure. of year is so busy for retailers, they might want to know how much candy have we sold in different stores. And these are the things that you can ask your database and mm. it will tell you the answer if you ask in the right way. So it's having the ability to ask those kind of questions and the questions that the business people ask a data analyst. So the people in marketing or the people making the decisions of what should be in a store, they become increasingly complex because with all this new data, we can make bigger decisions. We can figure mm. out, oh, actually, if this, if we sold this much, you know, kind of chocolate candy in this store and this much, um, I don't know, other candy in the other store, like, 
what's the difference? What's the commonalities? Mm. How can we make sure that we always have the stuff that our customers most want at the right time, at the right place? So data analysts are absolutely integral for making many of those business decisions because they crunch the numbers, they figure out the relationships between many different behaviors and transactions. So what are customers buying? And it's not just candy, it's shoes, it's cars. They access services, streaming services, Netflix, Spotify, all of those companies. Everyone has a customer at the end of the day. And data can help us figure out what those customers want and not just what they want now, but also what, what might they want in the future even just based on their age. Maybe right now, you know, somebody is a little child, they're going to enjoy watching kids' movies on Disney+. Plus. What are they going to enjoy when they're teenagers? Mm. You can probably figure that out based wow. on all the other teenagers you've served over the years. So data analysts, are like, they're secretly really cool. Um, yeah. The work they do isn't really seen on the outside, but it helps organizations figure out what to do next and how how well has something worked and and maybe something hasn't worked so they can they can influence those kind of product decisions but also understand processes in an organization so mm. if maybe um you know it could be things in finance how expend like how I'm, I'm trying to make this like really not a business language kind of yeah. conversation. So, so when we look at finance, you know, people need to understand, okay, how much money have we spent on things? How much money have we earned? How much is coming in? How much is going out? And where are the gaps? Or where are we overspending? Where are we actually doing really well? And then we look at production. So if you imagine a factory, how are those machines running? Are they running really efficiently? And could we optimize that? There are so many things every single day in every organization that are supported by data and where having data skills is really important to helping the organization figure out how to do it best. <clears throat> I, I love that. And you, as you were talking, I, I keep going back to a conversation I had. This was uh, 2015 or 16. I was helping the school district roll out a one-to-one -one program. And they wanted me to come and talk to their uh, community meeting. It was like a community commerce meeting. And so I went and it's a bunch of just, you know, people from the communities, moms and dads, business owners, employees, you know, corporation owners, tons of people, different people in the crowd. And we were talking about, you know, the ability to put a laptop in the hands of every student. And what would that mean for the future of this community? And what are the future jobs that are out there? And, and kind of some of the stuff that you're talking about. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget this moment where I'm in the middle of talking about the power of technology to help us understand the data around us. And this guy, this guy in the back of the room, his hand shoots up and I call on him and he says, look, he's like, you're speaking my language. He's like, here's my problem. I own a company that builds parts of airplanes for Boeing because we're here in Seattle, right? And he says, we have so much data about our company, about what we need to be creating. He's like, it's all sitting in spreadsheets, but I don't have anybody to tell me what to do next. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh. And he's like, oh, what I need? And he goes, here's what I need. And he stands up at this point in the community <laughs> center. And he said, he's like, here's what I need. I need somebody who can understand spreadsheets, 
who can tell me where my company needs to go, what we need to focus it on, and, and make it in simple English so that I know what's best for my company. If there's anybody here that can do that, I'll pay him $100,000 a year on the spot. And as you were talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's this person, right? The person you just explained is the person that sits behind the scenes, but is making real financial and data-driven decisions for a company to move forward. Here's a CEO who has data, doesn't know what to do with it, knows that it's important to his company, but he doesn't have that person to help support him and tell the story of what's the data coming out of this company. I just love that. Absolutely. And and I, and I love your example as well. And it's a really good way to explain slow and fast decision-making. I think a lot of people who lead organizations, CEOs and others, they are probably quite good at making decisions based on their gut because they have a lot of experience and they can see things happening. But the world has become quite complex. In the past, businesses were a lot simpler. They would produce one product in one factory and they would ship it around the country and that was it. Now we're globalized and we have all this online information. There's so much complexity. They can't do all of that just based on their gut. And whether it's somebody manufacturing parts for airplanes or a a sports coach, I mean, the amount of, especially in US sports, they're so advanced. The amount of data that is being used in the NFL, in the MLB and in other sports is incredible. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm picturing um, basketball actually at the moment. So, if you think about a basketball, do you call them pitch as well? Field? Court. 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 Yeah, of course. There you <laughs> go. Court. Um, I'm, I'm so in soccer land at the moment. Yeah, it's, a, it's all good. You should be in soccer land at the moment, by the way. That, that is, that's where you should exactly. be. Exactly. <laughs> so you've got your basketball court. And you've, I'm sure that people who are listening to this have seen at some point in a visualization of data on a court. So overlaid, you have these data points. Where does Steph Curry shoot from and, and other players? You can visualize that and you can visualize what's successful, what's not so successful. How has he changed the game with his mm. approach? Um, but also in other sports. And there, there is so much data that plays into it. Um, and if people think about the movie Moneyball, that is a yeah. great movie about the importance of nerds in organizations yeah, and that. the difference they can make. Because, yes, the coaches, they know so much about the players and the strategy. But they can't tell necessarily by mm-hmm. looking at a player how exhausted are they? What's their heart rate like? Um, are they are they prone to injury anytime soon? And that is where data can come in. And I get I have the honor of actually working with a number of people in the field of professional sports, elite sports, on the data side. And I'm in the process of finishing a book on that. Uh, it's specifically kind of aimed at, at soccer, but really the lessons are universal. Sure. And Very cool. there is so much cool stuff. And I think it's my favorite example or topic, sports, to explain things around data because everyone finds sports mostly accessible. If sure. I were to go to students and explain stuff about the world of finance or the world of telecommunications, that might not be so interesting. But sports, mm. everyone can see it in their, you know, in front of them of what yeah. they could look like. And You've mentioned you've mentioned that this guy in your audience he will say you know I'm going to pay you a hundred thousand on the spot and that's another point it's it's a lucrative career because it is mm-hmm. valuable and because it requires specialized skills and it's not just the technical skills you can learn how to code and you can learn how to use specific software um, to do great things with data but also it's about 
human skills like being curious and inquisitive. If you are mm. somebody who asks, why is that? And does that look about right? And what else is there? And you like digging into the detail, then a data career is probably something you should consider because we need people to be curious. We don't want people that. to just accept something. Oh, that's the answer. Okay, let's move on. No, actually, is that correct? And what does it tell us? And what do we want to do as a result? And this guy who produces airplane parts, you know, he he would be the person saying, okay, but what about this? What about this? Because mm. he knows his business so well, but he might not know all the details and the numbers. And that's partly what I really like about working in data is you get to crunch the numbers. You get to figure things out a little bit by yourself and a little bit as a group, but then you come back to the stakeholders, the people in the business who need your brains to make these uh, suggestions. And you work with people across marketing and finance and production and you help figure them out what this means for them. And they ask you really interesting questions back. And for a data analyst, it's a great opportunity to learn a lot about the rest of the organization. I love that. And I'm just already thinking uh, there's teachers listening to this podcast that are already saying to themselves, that's that kid. I've got that kid in my classroom who every time I say something, they have to ask why, but what about, how do you know? That's your kid, right? That's your kid that you, maybe a data career is is right for them, right? We need people to be inquisitive and curiosity. I love that. We overlook curiosity as a skill set. I think uh, way too much in education, and especially in K twelve. You know, we 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 sometimes don't want kids to be curious. Like, just here's what I told you: go study it and tell it back to me. Don't be curious about there might be a different way to do it. Just go do it the way I told you. I love that exactly. Um, and and can I make one quick last point? Yeah. Um, the the path into data can be so varied. You don't have mm. to study computer science. My background was psychology, HR, and accounting. I didn't study anything computer science related. There are people who study history, English, um, geology. Like it, it's not about just what you do at university. And I would say that most university degrees or college degrees include some basic statistics. So sure. I just wanted to put that out there. It's not. It doesn't really matter so much what you do at uni. Um, there's always a path into data. Yeah. And I love that because I think that path could be around what are you curious about? If you're curious mm -hmm. about languages, there's a there's data there. <laughs> you know, if you're curious about sports, there's a data analysis job there. I mean, you know, what is your curiosity? And there's probably a way, you know, in to the world. And even in in, you know, my other life outside of this, I my wife and I invest in real estate and we invest in real estate, but on the, it, it drives you into the data because it's it's all about numbers, right? Like when we have a rental unit or we're flipping a house, it, those numbers tell us whether or not we can buy a property, not buy a property. How much can we afford to renovate it? I mean, it's all data, and I love that stuff. I am that's that's my curiosity. I dig into the numbers. My wife, not so much. I'm constantly like, look at this spreadsheet I created, and look. <laughs> she's like, okay, just tell me what it says. I'm like, but that's not the cool part. Like, anyways, it's just it's yeah. it's so fun, right? When you find your curiosity, whatever that angle is, I think the the data kind of comes there. And, there. and that's where the jobs, you know, that's where the jobs come from. Let's talk a little bit about the books. Uh, you've, mm -hmm. you've authored some books uh, that look at data in unique ways. Can you kind of give us just an overview of the books? We'll make sure that there's a link to everything in the show notes, but uh, it, for teachers and maybe even students that are, that are listening, can you kind of give us an overview of some of the, the books that you've published and maybe the new one that you have coming out? Yes. So the first book I published uh, together with my partner is called Makeover Monday. 
And it's about this data visualization project that we host, uh, which is all about helping people just practice their skills. So every Monday they get access to a data set and a visualization, and we challenge them to improve on the existing visualization, hence Makeup a Monday. And in that book, we captured the lessons learned from over a year of running that project. And we focus on best practices for data visualization. Oh, cool. And we include a lot and a lot of examples all in color in that book. So people can really see, okay, what's good, what's not so good, and and why is that? So it's mm. so like a basic entry-level book for I want to build some data visualizations, but I also want to learn some basics of data analysis. And then second book, uh, was me writing about building data communities because this community that we established, um, it caught the attention of you know people and organizations around the world. And it's just a really cool thing to do. And it made me recognize that actually there's something unique about people not just doing things on their own, but doing things as a community. So mm. I use that to create basically a handbook for if you want to build a community inside your organization or outside depending on what people are into but a lot of organizations want to build a community around their data functions um how can you do that how can you bring people together around data how can you build data literacy those data skills internally and giving them examples of exercise and activities they can establish things to look out for things not to do that i did wrong um, and then what to do instead as well and uh and the next book that's coming out so in between i published a, a small ebook on public speaking for data and tech professionals oh very cool but there's focus on public speaking not so much on data and yeah. the one that's coming out is about it's it's called football intelligence and we're hoping to publish it in the, in the next few weeks and that focus is on how to establish a data team in an elite sports environment with using the example of football but also, if you already are in that environment, why is data so important? What what else can you do with data? So on the one hand, we want to speak to data people who want to get into sports, but we also want to speak to sports people who mm. are maybe lagging behind on their data work and actually bring that up to the level it should be. So it talks about data strategy, about communicating with data, data managing different stakeholders, the kind of roles that you expect in a club. How would you set up a data team? and wow. such stuff yeah yeah it was that's, really cool that's I, pretty I, cool i i worked on that with um with two friends they both work in elite football clubs um and then there's me the data nerd so the yeah. three of us together i think have a really nice complementary skill set of me on the visualization and communication side them on the sports science and data science mm. side and that really came together and do you feel like right now uh soccer slash football uh is this something that they're really looking at? Is analytics becoming something that is becoming more and more? Is that why this book is coming out now? You're just seeing that there are more and more clubs are using data to make these decisions? Yes. So the the top ones in the Champions League and here in England in the Premier League, they are already doing a lot of great things. What triggered me to start on this book project was I spoke to a lecturer who was actually setting up a master's course in um, sports analytics and he mm. said there are no textbooks out there and I thought maybe I could write a textbook and in the end we decided not to write a textbook as such but to write a book that could be used as a textbook or as some right. supplementary work um, because there is very academic stuff out there sure but there isn't really something that's just accessible for everyday people because the book we wrote anyone could really read it they might not understand all of the football stuff or all of the 
data terminology, but anyone could pick this up and read it. And we'll probably find a bunch of interesting stuff in there. Um, but yeah, we see clubs really upskill. We have um, really top level people in some of the clubs. So one, for example, he was working um, on the um, discovery of the God particle. So he's like this brilliant mind who now applies his genius to football as a data scientist, but without any background in football, or sorry, in soccer, but he has the the data skills to see things that other people just can't see. So what what's really interesting is that in clubs, yes, some people have both sides. They have the data knowledge and the, the sports knowledge. But also clubs are bringing in people from a finance background, for example, mm. and statisticians, maybe economists, who just bring a different perspective and these really detailed data skills so they can spot patterns, they can have these hypotheses, and they're like, let's test this out. And it brings something completely new to the club that has so far maybe been just extremely sports-specific and focused. And what I love about everything you're saying is what we're what we're seeing as we focus more and more on data, and we can continue on the sports analogy because I think it's fantastic, um, is we're seeing how data now is actually impacting the game. And the number one thing, I don't know if you follow baseball, but here in America, when we're talking about Major League Baseball, data came out when we they started hiring data analysis in the in the Major League Baseball. They started looking at batters, and batters have tendencies to hit the ball in the same spot. This has been around for since the early 1900s, but it was only recently that analysis came to owners of clubs and managers and said, "Look." This batter always 89% of the time, 90% of the time hits the, hits the ball to this spot. What if we put all yeah. of the people in that spot and it's all now today we call it the shift, right? So every left-handed batter comes up, everybody shifts to the right side and it's all based on data. It's all based on data on that particular player to the point next year, they're changing the rules of baseball <laughs> to say you have to keep two people on either side of the infield, right? Data has changed the rules of the game because it was coming so hard to get a hit because we knew exactly where you're going to hit the ball every time. Now we're saying, oh, no, no, you can't do that. You can't move players wherever you want them. You have to have players in specific spots to give the person an opportunity to get a hit. Otherwise, our data is so good. We know exactly where you're going to hit the ball when we pitch a curveball. And that's what we're going to pitch. Like we, the the data is so incredible on this stuff that now we're changing the rules of the game based on the data that we have on each individual player. And we used the MLB topic actually recently in Make of a Monday, looking at fastballs having declined and there's more sliders and other types of pitches. And that is in the data, you wouldn't necessarily know that just by looking at it. Now, some people right. might, but you have to collect the data to see the trend. Yeah. And it, you, you can't see those patterns. You can't yeah. see the patterns. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. It's so, it's so fascinating. And, and this is the thing that I love about geeking out with data is it's, it literally is, tra- it's transforming sports. You know, it transforms yep. everything that we're doing. Uh, it's such a, a, a there's just so much out there that you can do with it. It's so, it's so great. We can keep going on, but I need to get to our next question, which is on YouTube, <laughs> uh, on your YouTube channel. And we'll make sure there's a link to this in the show notes as well. There's a great video. And again, if you're a teacher and you want to, uh, the great video to, to maybe put in your Google classroom or canvas to, to show students, it's fantastic where you walk through different questions 
about what are some of the data skills, right? What are the data skills that people need? Uh, and for our listeners who work with with K twelve uh, K twelve kids and maybe even younger kids, can you talk about some of the, the soft skills? You talked about curiosity, but when we talk about the hard skills, the data skills, you know, knowing SQL language, knowing some of the data analysis stuff, knowing how to run an Excel or, or a Sheets uh, is one thing. What are some of those soft skills that we also need to make sure that we are pairing with this uh, when we're when we're uh, supporting younger learners as well? Yeah, a really key one is to be a good listener. Mm. And by that, I don't just mean acoustically listening to some the words that somebody says, but also understanding and mm. building a catalog of questions that you can ask the other person. So I will call them the business stakeholder, the person you're doing analysis for, understanding how to work with them, how to manage their expectations, how to truly understand what they're looking for. Because what happens quite often, as an example, is somebody might say, can you build me a report that shows A, B, C, and D? And I want to have a pie chart here and I want to have a line chart there. But that's not really what the job of an analyst is. The job of the analyst is to answer questions, not to mm. be the architect of a report. So having having the, the kind of skills to see that to understand and to ask the questions to figure out what do they really want? Do they want to understand how much money the department has earned? Do they want to know how many products were sold, where those products were sold? And then the analyst needs to take that information, digest it and figure out how do I best present this information? And that's really what what the job is there. So listening, um, being able to translate something that's potentially complex and technical into plain English. And with plain English, I mean, no jargon, nothing fancy, just literally explaining it to somebody over a barbecue. That's, that's, yeah. That should be the benchmark of, can you explain this complicated thing to somebody at the barbecue who's never really heard about this topic? Mm. And translating that language of data as well. So if somebody has found something really interesting in a data set, okay, how do I communicate that i can visualize it in a chart but it's not enough to just give somebody a chart and hope for the best you need to put some words to it so writing is a really important skill and i guess it's more of a hard skill but it's the expression it's the communication it's Mm. figuring out how you can speak to that audience um we've mentioned the curiosity as well but Mm. i think that communication is key and building relationships because you need to and it's it's not so much that people need to constantly be interacting with, with others. And I say that because I know that the field has a lot of people that are far more on the introverted side of the of the spectrum. And that's totally fine. But being an effective relationship builder, networker, mm. to have good conversations with the people that need your help, but also to connect with people in the industry and, and in the field so you can keep your skills sharp as well. So connecting with other experts, sharing what you know. So, so being a contributor, I guess, as well, um, is something I would I would put on that list. Very, very cool. I love that. Um, and and the the thing that I love is everything that you've been talking about. We've been doing a whole series on data literacy, data visualization. And everything you're talking about is the same thing that keeps coming up, right? This ability to like telling the story, to be curious, to listening for understanding. I love that. I wonder, I wonder how much we actually do that in school. Like, are we really focused on helping kids listening for understanding? I think that's a, that's a great, 
a great skill set as well. A last question for you, and you mentioned this at, at the beginning, and I kind of wanted to circle back to it. You talked about one of the things that you're really passionate about is helping women in technology and data. And for our K-12 listeners, uh, are, whether teachers or, you know, I have a math teacher that's listening to this that, you know, has has uh, girls and women in their in their class who, who are interested in data and tech, what advice do you have for, for teachers, for educators about women? in data and technology. Any advice that you can give as we prepare this next generation? Oh, yes. If if they can do as much as possible to, to encourage those young women and girls to not discount themselves and to not, mm. to not take themselves out of the race before it's even started. I come from a generation where it was still this assumption, oh, girls don't like math and girls don't like physics. And yeah. Unfortunately, I had teachers who pretty much lived up to that as well and who were quite discouraging. And it's such a shame. So I think the more girls can be nurtured just as much as boys in those STEM subjects so that they finish school thinking, I can do that. Mm. Even if they don't know yet what it's, what it's going to be like, yeah. that will be a massive contribution because I think we lose them before we can even grab them. So if I if mm. I think from a my perspective as a professional, by the time I get to talk to these women, they have already entered the industry. But I don't mm. see anyone who's not entered because they were afraid or they felt like they weren't good enough. I don't even, I don't meet those people because I don't have those connections to education. So if we can encourage or if we can ensure that that pipeline actually, that the women go into college, into university, um, and that they do maybe internships in businesses so that they can experience how cool it is and how fun it is. Because I think once you're in the field, it's like, oh, yeah, this is this is a cool job. And people in my environment, they are really appreciated. They are nurtured. They are supported. But sometimes there's a big gap from finishing school to actually then getting to that part. Mm. And it does require a bit of resilience. And at the same time, also, not just focusing on the girls, but also on the boys, to to turn them a little bit into feminists and make them. Mm. I I think we need to strike a balance, and this is not just for data and tech. This is across the board sure. in society, sure. where we talk we focus a lot on how can we you know protect girls, how can we keep themselves, how can we educate them, but also let's educate our boys to mm. be kind and compassionate and to to not have this war against each other because. If they could, if they all collaborate, they could create amazing things. They might even mm. create a startup before they even go to college. If they pull their their brains and stuff, I just I wish there was a bit more, you know, peace and friendship in those situations mm. rather than the competition that we sometimes inadvertently foster. So yeah. if teachers can, if they can create an environment where girls feel equipped and empowered to just say, actually, I'm going to give this a go. I'm not going to check out from STEM subjects. That will be amazing. I love that. I love that. Uh, and I've been honored. I've got two goddaughters. We don't have kids of our own, but I've got two goddaughters who are both going into the STEM field. Uh, and they have that mindset. Like nothing's going to stop these girls. I mean, they're, you know, one's at Tulane. The other one just applied to Yale. I mean, these girls are, you know, and amazing. they just, that's just, that's their thing. They're both math geeks, you know, for lack of a better <laughs> term. And they yeah. love it. They love it. It's And it's so great, you know, and as young women just to see the way that they have been encouraged through their teachers, through their school, um, 
you know, that they, they, anything's possible for them. And it's going to be fun to, to kind of watch them go into their STEM careers and, and see where that lands. So uh, that's great. Thank you for that. I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that comes back to one of the key things you talked about, which is just listening for understanding. How do we listen to each other more uh, so that we understand each other more so we can be curious about the things around us uh, and lift and lift us all up. And I think that that's a, that's a huge piece of it. I think, uh, as we, as we wrap this up, uh, Eva, thank you so much for spending time with us. If people want to learn more about you, about your work, uh, be able to, to, uh, maybe reach out to you, or if there's a student who hears this and is like, I really would like to reach out to her uh, and ask some more questions. Where's the best place for people to go? Best place is either on my website, evamari.co.uk but also on Twitter and LinkedIn, if they have okay. access um, on, yeah, you'll find me on the Eva Murray on both of those platforms. And yeah, I'd love to hear from them. If anyone has questions, I will happily answer them. Awesome. And we'll make sure that links to the Twitter, the LinkedIn, to the website, everything is in the show notes is below. Make it very easy for people so they can uh, click uh, and, and reach out and contact you. Eva, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Really appreciate your insight into data, technology, literacy, women in STEM. Uh, just a great, great conversation. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me.